Welcome back to week number two in our series uh, that we're calling Made for Mondays. We're talking about purpose in our jobs. God wants to work in and through us, not just Sunday morning is important to Him, but really every day of the week, especially a work week. And uh, uh, as we last week, we, we showed you these, these cool uh, mugs that we have available for $5.00. It says made for Monday uh, on there. We encourage you, $5 donation, pick one of these up, bring it to work, and watch the conversation start. Uh, it's a great little conversation uh, starter, icebreaker. Actually, even uh, probably will end up being an opportunity for you to invite someone to your church here in the Valley. And, and uh, we've just loved social media as we've seen folks taking pictures at work with their Made for Mondays mug. And, and today we want to look at kind of a, or answer a different question, uh, a, a question maybe we don't even, even want to say out loud, uh, but, but here it is. What if I hate my job? What if I hate my job? We looked last week at God's purpose through work. But what if I find myself in a, in a position that I really, really hate, can't stand it? And I know, I, I know hate's a strong word. Uh, I know maybe you would never say, I hate my job. Maybe I strongly dislike or passionately cannot tolerate or stand having to go back to work again tomorrow. Uh, but, but you wouldn't use the word hate. Or, or maybe just, uh, maybe the word hate doesn't describe it too well. M- maybe you would see yourself in this, in this clip when you go to school go back to work on Monday morning. Uh, Let's show that. Maybe you can identify with this. I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? Harry. Yeah, Harry, but, but can he do the job? I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? I'm not arguing that. I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you. I'm not arguing that with you, Harry. Harry, Harry. Yeah, Harry, but can he do the job? I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? I'm not arguing that with you. Harry, I am not arguing that with you. Who said that? I didn't say that. If I said that, I would have been wrong. Maybe. Maybe. I'm not arguing that with you. Yeah, Harry. I know he can get the job. But can he do the job? I'm not arguing that with you. I am not arguing that with you. I am not arguing that with you. If you've never seen that before, I, I, it just kills me every time I see that. Hilarious little clip. That's for the beginning of Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan was also uh, in that first scene there, the opening credit, literally. Uh, I, I'm not arguing that with you. <laughs> I know he can get the job, but can he do the job? Uh, maybe that's what you feel like on Monday mornings, but you were made 
for Mondays. You were made for Mondays. And I, I want to do just a real quick review. I'm not going to go through everything we did last week. You can catch it if you missed it uh, online through our Valley app or uh, our, our website. But uh, here's an interesting verse we didn't look at last week, but I just want to kind of jump into the review looking at this. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 12 says, The sleep of the working man is pleasant, whether he eats little or much, but the full stomach of the rich man does not allow him to sleep. Uh, the Bible affirms, God affirms the virtue in work. Any job that's legal is better than no job. A- any, any job, if it's whatever it is that you think might be beneath you, if it's a good day's work and is legal, having any job or three jobs is better than not working at all. And this is what it says, the sleep of a working man is pleasant whether he eats little, doesn't mean you're going to be wealthy, or he has much. And so over and over again throughout the Bible, and even in this four-week series, we're just going to scratch the surface on the topic uh, as we talk about made for Mondays. And then last week we looked at this in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through 2, and I just love this from the message translation. It says, so here's what I want you to do, God helping you, and we need God's help to have his perspective on our job, our employment. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, your eating, your going to work and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering, that our worship and our work are offerings to God. That literally the job that we do should be an offering. Our work is worship to God. Place it before God as an offering, embracing what God uh, does for you is the best thing that you can actually do for him. And at the end of the message last week, I shared with you really where this mindset came from between uh, this understanding of the sacred and the secular. It came from Greek philosophy. It's really not at all Christian uh, at all, and it wasn't even prevalent or present in the early church till about the year 250 or so, uh, where uh, Cyprian, uh, Bishop Cyprian, began to just bring this Greek ideas uh, philosophy uh, into the, the Christian church at the time. Let's look at that real quick again, and this is on your app as well. You can check out these charts. But this, this idea, this is Greek, this is not biblical, that there are certain sacred things, those are higher, those are more valuable, God cares about that more, and that's things pertaining to spiritual, eternal, and unchanging, the upper realm of God that's in heaven, and that's like clergy, we do all that stuff. That was what the understanding was, Cyprian, uh, that began to espouse that. And then there are secular things, things pertaining to the physical, temporal, or changing lower realm of humans on earth. Those are lower things. And Cyprian started to write about it. Then a hundred years after that, actually the church father, Augustine, he began to actually make charts of this is sacred work, this is secular work. And basically only what the church did was sacred work based on this Greek philosophy. And this is a bunch of nonsense. This is not Jesus. This is not first and second century Christianity. This wasn't even around for almost the first 200 years of the Christian church. And and so instead we showed you this chart, uh, the next one that we have here, and that is that the church choice is ours to redeem these things, that Jesus came to live a sinless life and to die a sacrificial death and rise from the dead, not only to redeem you personally and me personally, but also redeem our work, 
Redeem the work of our hands. Redeem all the different things that, that we touch that are part of our lives. So, church, these are just a, a, not an exhaustive list. Church, school, art, home, music, drama, sports, business, law, labor, agriculture, sex, medicine. These things are not evil. They're not wicked uh, in and of themselves. They're neutral. But here's the thing. If we use them, any of these things, in conflict with God's design, then they become evil. That's our problem. That's our fault. We did that. These things didn't do it to us. But what God wants is for us to move everything into in harmony with his design. And then these, every one of these things becomes good. Becomes good and virtuous. And, and, and a positive, helpful thing to bring his kingdom to this earth. Just as Jesus instructed us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. These things, when we move them into God's purpose and God's design. So if you're here today and, and, and maybe you don't hate your job, you just, you, you just strongly dislike it, I think there are two main questions uh, that we need to ask uh, that, that need to be answered. And these two questions, the answer to these two questions will actually change our perspective perspective and perception of work drastically. Just, just as it really, really, it will be a complete paradigm shift. Because here's the thing, let me say this the only way that I know how. If, if, you're, if you have had three different jobs in the last four years, chances are your job is not the problem. It's a you problem, not a work problem. And the Bible talks so much about God's plan and purpose through our work, like we talked about last week. Even the word vocation comes from Christianity. It's a calling, a summons from the divine. Vocation that we use as a job. It's a Christian word. It wasn't even used until, Christian, until the Christian faith. So here's the first question. Why does my work even matter to God? Why does my work matter? Maybe, maybe you know, you're going into Target tomorrow uh, and, and you work there or, uh, you know, maybe you're going back to school as a teacher, administrator, and you're like, why does this even, why does it matter? Why does my work matter to God? Here's the reason why. The Bible makes it very clear. As a Christian, God is my boss. As a Christian, God is your boss. Not your boss. He's not your boss. She's not your boss. God is your boss. And so you're not working just to please your boss. You should do that. But the whole idea is you're working to please God, and that should exceed. Your work should be so much more, should be excellent, because as a Christian, you understand that guy, that girl, my direct report, they're not really my boss. God is my boss. Look at what the Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, and I hope you're following along on your app because there's going to be some stuff uh, that we're going to cover here that you're going to wish you could look back on, and so I encourage you to follow along with your Valley app. Colossians chapter 3, verse 23, it says, whatever you do, whatever you do, it's talking about work, it's talking about every area of life, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart, watch, here's the motivation, here's the perspective, it's not to get money, it's not to get paid, it's not show me the Benjamins, that's not making it rain up in here. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters, not for your boss. Now, what does that mean? 
That means I'm just going to do the job I think I should do, and he's just got to live with it? No, not at all. That means, as a follower of Jesus Christ, every Christian should be the best employee in any organization. That's what that means. Because it's not about human bosses, human masters. It's about I'm working for God. And so even if my boss is happy with me, if I know I did not put in an honest day's work, I cut corners, I timed out, I spent more time on social media when the boss thought I was working, you have worked a dishonest day before God. God is your boss. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. That's why my work matters to God. Very, very interesting, 500 years ago with the Protestant Reformation, this is one of the things that drastically changed. Martin Luther wrote a lot about this. John Calvin wrote a lot about this because they recognized this whole uh, clergy and laity, it, it's, it's erroneous to the New Testament, to the Bible. In fact, much of the Old Testament. Think about this for just a minute. If you know the Bible real well, name one, or let me say, name two incredible priests that God used in the Old Testament. No one. You can't name two. Who did he use? Over and over again, it wasn't clergy. Who did God use to bring about his purpose? Kings, shepherds, business people, entrepreneurs. It was not priests and clergy. In the same thing in the New Testament, the same exact thing. And so this is just an erroneous idea. God works through everyone. There's not this distinction. Clergy are more favored by God, and then the laity, the unwashed masses, oh, sorry, you'll never be good enough. You'll never really measure up. And so even in the Protestant Reformation, Luther and Calvin brought this to the Protestant Reformation to the point that, and you can Google this, it's pretty fascinating, there's actually a phrase called Protestant work ethic. Because the whole idea was the work of our hands, that as Christians, we're working for the Lord. We're not working for our master. We're not working for our boss. So Protestants began to distinguish themselves from Catholics because their work was more excellent. They were more of a craftsman. They devoted themselves to developing the skills that they had, and they could see, they could begin to distinguish between those who were Protestant in faith and those that were Catholic. Because Catholic is that separation, laity and clergy. Protestant, no, we're all together. Work has value. God created work. And so it's referred to as the Protestant work ethic. Or maybe you've heard it this way, the Puritan work ethic. Puritans were Protestants as well. And that's what some of those that founded uh, our, our nation and settled here. And so Christian work ethic is counterculture when everyone's just doing the minimum as followers of Christ because we're working for the Lord. We do the maximum. We go above and beyond. Why? Because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We're working for Jesus no matter what our job is. Law enforcement, education, architect, uh, fast food, whatever it is, we go above and beyond because we're working for Jesus. We show him our love. It's our worship and offering to him. Our work is our worship. 
Think about this for just a minute. Let's just go back. We, we touched on this a little bit last week, but I want to go back and, and just reemphasize something. Jesus' words in Matthew chapter 5, verse 14, Jesus says, you are the light, remember, of the world, not the church. You're the light of the world. He's talking to his followers. He's saying, shine in the midst. Let your life stand out. Why? By the way that you work, the excellence on the job that you pursue, not doing the minimum, going above and beyond. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. Watch what he says. He goes on and says, In the same way, let your good deeds, let your good work. He's talking about a Christian work ethic. Let what you put your hand to. Let your good deeds shine out for all to see. Why? So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The purpose of our work is not just to make a dollar. The purpose of your work and mine is to shine excellence and that people would say, there's something different about her. There's something different about him. What's different about you? It's my faith in Jesus Christ. That's why I'm not into minimums. I'm into maximums. Because Jesus Christ is my boss. So I'm not just trying to get by, do as little as is necessary to get paid. I am glorifying God. I want God to receive the glory, to let my light shine. And everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Not up in here in the church, out there in the world. You're the light of the world. You're the light of the world. I, I love uh, our, our three daughters, Susie and I, our three daughters, uh, all, all went to, go to Liberty University. Uh, our oldest is graduated. We still have two there. And, and our uh, middle child, Brooke, our middle daughter, she's actually finishing up this in December. Liberty University, largest Christian university on the planet. Over 100,000 students enrolled currently. Over 100,000. I think it's 105,000. Jerry Falwell was a Baptist pastor. He founded Liberty University in 1971, and this was his mantra, and I believe this. this is so, so important. He used to say this, if it's Christian, it ought to be better. If it's Christian, it ought to be better, not less than, because God doesn't get any glory when in a half-hearted uh, attempt. And poor quality. He doesn't receive any glory. No, no one praises our Heavenly Father for, oh boy, you, you did that job halfway. Glory to God. That's fantastic. You, you, you almost finished that work on time. Boy, that, that was just wonderful. God doesn't get any glory for that. I, I love that quote. Jerry Falwell said, if it's Christian, it should be better. Uh, one of the things as a football coach, I, I heard this and uh, really, Susie and I tried to impart it into our kids, and that's this. It takes no talent to hustle. It takes no talent to hustle. It's too easy to go through life. Well, I don't have this ability. Well, I don't have that ability. Yeah, but do you have hustle? Do you have heart? See, see hustle is about heart, not about abilities or talents. It's about, I'm going to give this 100%. It takes no talent to give 100%. It does take work ethic, and it does take the right perspective takes the right perspective. God is really, really concerned about my work. That's why my work matters to God. So, so here, here's the thing. 
Why is God so concerned about my work? Because God is loving the human race through your work. God is literally, he wants to love the human race through your work. So that means your coworkers, if, if you're into some sort of customer service, the way that you talk to people, do you put them down with your tone or do you lift them up? When, when, when you're in the break room and people are talking about the boss, do you walk right in there and like, yeah, boy, he's a jerk. Or you say, we shouldn't be doing this, and you walk out. See, God wants to, through your work, through mine, God is loving the human race through your work. Just this past week, I'm in the middle of getting a whole root canal and, you know, waiting to get the crown. I was getting a drill. I had a two-hour dentist appointment this week. You know what? I don't wish that upon my worst enemy. But, but my dentist is, is actually a Christian and, you know, I can't tell you how cared for I felt. It was painful. It was just, it's just, you know, just awful. Like I said, I wouldn't wish it on my worst enemy. But, but you know what? I felt the care of Christ through my dentist, being concerned. I, I should just communicate, let me, let me let you just take a break. Because I was crying like a little girl. No, I'm just kidding. I wasn't. Uh, but, but, you know, let me, take, let me just let you have a little five-minute break here. You know, just, just the care and the concern. God is loving the human race through your work, through your interactions on the job. God wants to show his love. Let his light shine through you because you are the light of the world. So let me go through a, a series of statements and, and I found these, I found them to be incredibly helpful. In fact, I just shared them with the staff as well because I didn't want them to hear it the first time when I'm preaching this. But, but just answer it to yourself, yes or no, about this statement. Is this a true statement about you or is it a false statement? And if it's, if it's, if it's not true, if the answer is no instead of yes, what that means is we've got work to do. We need to step up and receive the perspective, the biblical perspective of work that God gives to us. Because he is very concerned about your work and about my work. There is no such thing as a dead-end job from God's perspective. No such thing. So, so let me just go through these statements and you just answer to yourself, yes, that's true of me. Uh, no, that's not true. So here's the first one. My faith has made me more valuable at my job, not less valuable. In other words, because I'm a Christian, the boss knows he can count on me in some ways that he can't count on other people. My faith is not a liability. Because I'm a Christian, it's made me more valuable. Yes or no? Just answer that. How about this one? I have a reputation at work for being someone who helps others succeed without needing to take credit for it because I'm humble and I don't need to always look at me, look at me, give me cred, pat me on the back. Yes, that's true of me or no, that's not true of me. I have a reputation at work for being someone who helps others succeed without needing to take credit for it. How about this third one? My skill set is sharper today than it was three years ago, and my boss would agree. See, we're always, as Christians, we're supposed to be growing. We're supposed to be getting better. And so what does that mean? That our skills are developing. We're giving ourselves, not just to, I'm just going to maintain where I'm at, just get that paycheck. I want to get better every day. When I was coaching high school football, again, we used to always say every practice, did you get better today? Because you're either getting better or you're getting worse. No one's just holding it, holding the, you know, holding the position. 
So my skill set is sharper today than it was three years ago, and I love this part, and my boss would agree. So it's not just my opinion, but my boss would agree with that. I am getting better. I'm a better employee than I was three years ago. I bring more to the table than I did three years ago, if you want to look at it that way. How about this next statement? My coworkers see me as someone who's settled, engaged, and fulfilled in my workstation. Wow. In other words, is this just a temporary thing, and man, then I'm out of here when the next best thing comes along. Really? That, that's not a biblical perspective of the work, the value that God has placed on your work, right where you are. Nothing's promised tomorrow. All you've got is today, in the present. My coworkers see me as someone who's settled, engaged, and fulfilled in my workstation. Yes, that's true of me, or no, that's not true of me. How about this one? I am the same person on Monday at work as I am on Sunday at church. Oh, now you're meddling, Greg. Now it's getting personal. I'm the same person. In other words, I don't use vocabulary, God bless you, hallelujah, praise God, Maranatha, you know, all this stuff. I, I don't use that vocabulary just on Sunday, and then I have some other choice words and vocabulary on Monday at work. See, that shows I don't understand the biblical perspective. I don't value work the way God values my work. So I'm the same person on Monday at work as I am on Sunday at church. How about this one? My life is enough salt and light to cause my coworkers to find Jesus. Is, is my life radiating the love of Jesus Christ, salt and light, that, that my coworkers can actually come into a relationship with Jesus Christ because of the story of my life that I'm living out in front of them, or when I showed up at work with my Made for Mondays mug, and people said, what is that all about? And you said, oh, it's a series at my church. They were like, you're a Christian? I had no idea. Not good, folks. Not good at all. We need to not only live up to the mug, and I encourage you to get them, let it, let it be a little challenge, a little accountability for you. I encourage you to pick up one while we still have some supplies lasting. But uh, I, my life should be enough salt and light to cause coworkers to find Jesus. When I was coaching, again, I wasn't perfect or anything, but I remember one day three, three players came up to me and said, Coach, we want to talk to you for a minute. I'm like, sure. And they're like, we've never heard you swear. Why? I said, we've just been, to, you know, you have never, we've never heard you say one swear word. And I said, you guys don't know? Like, no. I said, I'm a Christian. That's why. I want to please God with the way I talk. I want to lift him up. And so that's just not part of what I do. I'm not saying that I never have sworn. <laughs> but, but I was just going, doing, being who I'm supposed to be, who I feel like God wanted me to be on the football field. And those high school players noticed. Coach, I've never heard you swear. Why is that? Here, here's the last one. This is a real telling one about our biblical perspective on work. Even if I became independently wealthy, I would still keep on working. You know, what is it, a lotto right now? is like 800 million. So would you just retire and do nothing and just go lay on a beach somewhere? Or do you recognize that God is doing something in me while I work for him? I, I might do some different things, but I'd still work 
Would you still work? Even if I became independently wealthy, I would still keep on working. Or do you see work as something that's evil? Again, that's that whole sacred, secular, you know, work, unless you're working in a church, it doesn't mean anything. That's not the teachings of Scripture. That's not God's perspective on work. So that's the first question, and we only have one more. Why does God, why does my work matter to God? And here's the second question. Why does God matter to my work? Why does God matter to my work? Not only does my work matter to God, but God matters to my work. See, if when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, we recognize that God did for you and for me what we could never do for ourselves because of our sin, our personal sin, separated us from a relationship with God. And we need that. We want that. That's where we find ultimate fulfillment is in right relationship with Him. That's why God sent Jesus, His Son, who was God Himself, and He lived a sinless life, and He died a sacrificial death, and He rose from the dead to pay the price for your personal sin and my personal sin as well. And when we receive Jesus Christ as our Savior and our Lord, we turn from our sin, and we walk by God's grace from that point forward. We receive forgiveness from God. And He wants to fill our, not, not only our hearts, but every part of our lives with fulfillment because we begin to recognize in that time, I was created on purpose for a purpose, a unique purpose. And so why does God matter to my work? This is so important. That, that it doesn't matter what we do. This is why it's so important that, that we have some conversation with other Christians that are working in the field that we work in. To just like, okay, I'm in the medical field. How, how does that matter? How does God matter for me as a doctor or as a dentist or in business? I'm an entrepreneur. What, what, does, what does that bring to bear on me being an entrepreneur? My relationship to Jesus Christ. See, the implications of this is just huge. Why does God matter to my work? And Colossians chapter 1 tells us why God matters to your work and my work. Oh, it doesn't say it explicitly. It doesn't ask the question. But look at what it says, Colossians 1, 16, 18. For in him all things were created. That means work. In God, all things were created. He created all things. That means even the idea, the concept of work. Things in heaven or on earth, visible or invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authority, all things have been created through Him, watch this now, and for Him. Your work is for Him. Your job is for Him. Your employment is for Jesus. It's to glorify God. And it goes on and says, real clearly, He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body. This is speaking about Jesus, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything, everything, not just in the church, He's the head of the church, but so that in everything, Jesus, so that in everything He might have supremacy. Jesus wants to be Lord over everything. And that means your work and my work too. That means our work week. That's why you were made for Mondays. That's why I was made for Monday. That's why God 
the implications and the understanding that God matters to my work changes everything. It doesn't matter if you, if you pump gas, you know, you fix cars, uh, uh, you, uh, you're a teller at the bank. It, it doesn't matter if you're a cook in the back in the kitchen. Jesus Christ wants to be a part of your work week. He wants to have supremacy, that he would receive glory in everything that we do. If you're a stay-at-home mom, the way that you raise your kids Mom and dad's together, the way that your family functions, every area of life, that he would have supremacy in everything. Look at this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9. You've, you've probably heard this, this passage before. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. I just want to read it and then just unpack it a little bit with the understanding that we're talking about. Answering the question, why does... God matter to my work. But you, see it says you here. This was not written to priests and pastors. This was written, written to Christians. All throughout the known world at the time, the apostle Peter was writing this. He says, you, every believer in Christ, are a chosen people. A royal priesthood. Those two things had never been combined until Peter talked about them. Royalty and a priest. There was never a priest who was royalty any time in the Old Testament. Never combined before. You are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into, called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Think about this. He says, you're royal. What is that talking about? It means nobility. He says, you're a royal priesthood. What is he talking about there? He's talking about clergy. You are clergy. That's one of the distinctives of the Protestant Reformation, Protestant Christianity. There still are pastors and all that, but it's not this, you're not good enough anymore. We're all priests. Every one of us, as we talked about last week, is a minister. Your ministry, your job is your ministry. You're the, the, the minister at Target. You're the minister uh, at, at the law firm. You're, you're a minister at the school. You're, you're the unofficial chaplain wherever you are. You're the minister of the football team, the chaplain. You're a royal priesthood. That means clergy, every one of us. And then look, what, why, why is that so important? God's special possession that you may declare. What is it to declare? That's what a prophet does. He declares God's word, God's will. So right here we have royal, it's kingly, priesthood, priest, declaring prophet. King, priest, and prophet. Every one of us. And this is what Jesus was. Jesus was all three. He was king, he was priest, Hebrews talks about that. He was, prop, uh, he was king, king of kings and lord of lords. He was a priest. Again, look at the book of Hebrews. It talks about Melchizedek and says Jesus was even better priest than him. He was a priest, and he was also a prophet. No question about it. When he spoke forth the word of God to the people, and he talked about what was going to happen. Not only predictive, but it's just speaking as the mouthpiece of God. King, priest, and prophet. See, we need to think like a prophet we need to serve like a priest. We need to plan like a king. 
Let me say that again. On your job at work, you need to think like a prophet, you need to serve like a priest, and you need to plan like a king. All that encompassed in this incredible passage right here. Think like a prophet. Serve like a priest. Plan like a king. It's powerful. It's really, really powerful. That's why God matters to our work. Because with his grace, no matter what our job is, the power, through the power of the Holy Spirit, he wants to empower you and me to think like a, a prophet, to serve like a priest, and to plan like a king. That, that's why, you know, and, and I just want to point out, that's why it's so important. We have coming up this, this Connexus conference that's coming up this week. And I encourage you, we have an early bird registration. This is why we're doing this. It's just to go so much deeper. And, and the whole theme of this, and we have six uh, speakers that are coming in from out of town. Uh, the whole theme is doing business God's way. This series, we're just scratching the surface. Friday night, free for everyone, but we need you to register. Uh, even, even though we're just coming on Friday night because we need a head count because we're going to have this great after party with lots of food by Austin Flores. We want to make sure we don't run out, so, so please register. Uh, and, and then I think you're probably going to end up wanting to stay <laughs> for Saturday and come back. That's 9 o'clock in the morning to 9 o'clock at night. And, uh, and we're, already, we're getting real close to 100 people and capacity is, is limited. But if I encourage you, register today. The early bird special is going to be changing really, really quick. It, it may almost be over by the time you're watching this. So, so please go online and register for this. So important. Let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Because, see, it's just in my heart. I want to help you. I want to help you to, to, to learn what it means. And this is why I'm bringing in some ringers from out of town for our Connexus Leadership Network, for Connexus Conference. I want you to be a part. Don't miss out. To think like a prophet, to serve like a priest, to plan like a king. Here it is. If I could just boil it down, these three roles. God on the job wants to give you the wisdom of a prophet. He wants to give you the humility of a priest. And he wants to give you the boldness of a king. See, when... when when each and every one of us, as followers of Christ, we understand what work is all about. We understand why our work matters. You can't hate your job anymore. You can't hate your job anymore because you realize God wants to give me the wisdom of a prophet right where I am. He wants to give me the humility of a priest to serve those I work with and serve those that I come in contact with in my job. And the boldness of a king, because you are where you are for his sake, for God's sake. When we have that understanding, it changes everything when we have the biblical perspective, God's perspective on our work. God wants you and I to show the world how God matters through our work, through your work and mine. Would you bow your heads with me right now? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do ask that you would give us the wisdom of a prophet, the humility of a priest, the boldness of a king. Lord, that we, would, that we would think like a prophet on our job, that we would serve like a priest on our job, and that we would plan like a king 
right where you've placed us during the work week. We were made for Mondays. And Father, we embrace that, that role where you've placed us. It's not by accident. We didn't get that job for us. You placed us there. Let us find purpose and fulfillment, Lord, as we embrace the role of prophet, priest, and king in our workplace from this day forward. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Forgive us, Lord, for seeing our job as some dead end and saying we hate it, but recognizing now, Lord, that you have purpose in it. Thank you, Father. We receive your grace in this moment. Right now, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want to give an opportunity to you. If, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've never taken that step of faith, the Bible says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so right now in this moment of contemplation, stillness, I just want to invite you to open your heart up to Jesus Christ. And if you've never prayed to receive him as your Lord and Savior, I want to lead you in a prayer right now that as you open your heart up to him, and you just ask him to be your Lord and Savior. He will be, and you'll be forgiven. And that's the start of this relationship. All of this is possible, and it's only possible. As we've been talking about, everything today starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. So with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, if you've never done that before, just, just even in a whisper, just repeat after me right now. Heavenly Father, forgive me of my sins. I receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior today. Jesus, thank you for living for me. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead for me. And now I ask you to lead me, guide me, direct me from this day forward by your Holy Spirit and I will follow you. Amen.